Tonight we're continuing a series that's entitled Living Between the Two Advents or Living Between the Already and the Not Yet. As Jesus Christ who came into the world came and uh, many of the things that had been prophesied concerning his coming uh, were not all fulfilled with his coming and he said I'm going to return to the heaven to my father but I will come again. And we are living in this period of, of redemptive history, and we're able to look back and see the already, uh, what we know. I mean, for centuries, the people of God were looking ahead, anticipating and longing for the coming of the promised Messiah. But we live at a vantage point where we can see the historic redemptive events that happened with the coming, the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we also, like them, are looking forward to the fact that he's coming again, and many of the things that, again, were foretold about him have not yet ultimately been fulfilled, and so we're living in between, living between the already and the not yet, but we're to live by faith and hope that this one who came indeed will come again, and so we've looked at and we've considered the already and the not yet of redemption uh, from sin that Christ has come and he has made a once-for-all sacrifice for sin. Uh, But we recognize that sin's still an issue, not only in the world around us, but in us. And we look forward to his coming again where there will no longer be, we will be glorified, we will no longer struggle against remaining corruption that is in us. Uh, Two weeks ago, we looked at the already and the not yet of uh, the joy giver, that Jesus came that we might have joy and that we might have it abundantly, but we know that it's um, now it's mixed with tribulation, hardship, and difficulty, but we look forward to a day when, again, Christ will come and in the presence of God there is fullness of joy at his right hand, pleasures forevermore. No longer will it be mixed together with pain and sorrow and difficulties and tribulation. Um, Tonight, we are considering the already and the not yet of messianic mercy, peace, and righteousness. I want to read from Luke 1 here. This is the account uh, Luke opens up as he's giving an account of the life and the work of Jesus Christ. And it begins with Zacharias, who he and his wife were childless, and they prayed for a child, and God answered their prayer above and beyond what they could have imagined because the child that is born to them is the one that had been prophesied in the book of Malachi that there would be a forerunner that would come and announce the appearing of the Messiah. And it will be their son. And what an amazing thing. And here is Zacharias, his, his, his giving praise and giving thanks to the Lord uh, for the things that have been revealed to him. So this is nine months after the announcement was made that he and his wife will have this baby, and here is this hymn of praise. It's called the Benedictus, and uh, he is giving praise to God, blessing God, and speaking well of him in light of these events. Beginning at verse 67, now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, blessed is the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house 
of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be clothed, the prophet of the highest. Um, You will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So here is the promised... uh, forerunner of the Messiah who is born. And here in these words of Zacharias, as he is giving praise to God, we see things about the one who is going to come, who will be born shortly after, uh, after this child is born. And uh, here is this praise that is given to God. And it is scripture-filled. Um, which shows us that Zacharias was a man who had the word of God hidden in his heart. Um, But the Lord has visited us. He is redeemed, verse 68 says. Blessed be God. He has visited and redeemed his people. That no doubt recalls thoughts about the people of Israel when they were down in Egypt. God has not forgotten us. And God delivered his people then. And he has visited us and has redeemed his people, even as he did in that day. Verse 69 talks about a horn that is being raised up to uh, the house of his servant David. He's promised a seed that will come and will be a great king and rule and reign forever. And a horn is uh, used to speak about strength and and power. Uh, Many of the animals have a horn, and it's one of the ways in which they are Uh, able to fight, um, and it is often used in Scripture in that way. He's raised up this horn, this one who is all-powerful, has strength, he has power. He is mighty to save. He is a mighty Savior. And then in verse 70, all of this has been foretold um, by the prophets for centuries. They've been speaking about this, and now we're seeing these things come to pass. And uh, now we see three Old Testament themes that are related to the expectation of this Messiah who is to come. After 400 silent years, there's not been a word from God. And now we see here Zacharias and others who are speaking and uh, here associated with the coming of this Messiah are these three things that we want to consider tonight. As he comes, there is mercy 
and there is peace, and there is righteousness. He is going to bring these things. So as we think about the promise of messianic mercy, this is something that was foretold by the prophets, that the one who is coming, that he would come and he would be clothed with mercy. He will, give, he will be one who has mercy. We see this in verse um, 77. He will give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us. Then verse 72, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers to, and to remember his holy covenant. So here is this promise of who is going to come and he will be, bring mercy. That's really what we need. Um, often the people of Israel were looking for a different kind of deliverer um, to throw off the Roman Empire. But this is coming, this one is coming to deliver uh, first and foremost with regard to sin, to show mercy and grace to his people. Uh, Psalm 130 uh, says, if you should mark out iniquities, Lord, who could stand before you? If you, would, if you would mark out my iniquities, Lord, I could not stand before you, but there is mercy with you that you might be feared. And it goes on to say, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy and with him abundant redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And then Isaiah 16, verse 5, foretelling the reestablishment of the Davidic line, the throne. In mercy, in mercy, the throne will be established, and one will sit on it in truth in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking justice and hastening righteousness. So the promised Messiah is one who's going to come, and associated with the coming is his being one who comes in mercy unmerited mercy. The second thing that we see here is peace. We see this down in verse uh, 79. To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Associated with this promised one that is coming, the Old Testament prophet said that it is, it is with, he will come in peace. He will bring peace and we know the well-known Isaiah 9 passage, which says that this one who is coming unto us, a child is given, a, a, child, a child is born, a son is given, and it is this one who is the prince of peace. He's the one that will guide our feet, our feet into the way of peace. We live in a fallen world, don't we? And this is good news of one who is able to bring about peace in a multifaceted way. And then the third thing that we see in this is, is righteousness. In verse 74, to grant us that we being delivered from the hands of our enemies, that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. This one is going to bring about a people who will reverence God, who will in holiness and righteousness serve him all the days of their life. And 
That too, I think, brings back memories of the Exodus when God said to Moses, go and deliver my people, say to Pharaoh, I want them to come out so that they might worship me. Um, and here is this Messiah who's going to come and who will bring about, he will show mercy, he will bring about peace, he will bring about righteousness. In Isaiah 61.3, the servant of the Lord um, has been anointed. He says that the, the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings among other things like beauty for ashes, like oil for joy, joy, uh, oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, and that they may be called trees of righteousness. This will be part of the work and the ministry of the Messiah. And then Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6, speaks about the days that are coming, this Messiah that is going to come. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days... Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called. This is a wonderful name. The Lord, our righteousness. That's a, that's a beautiful title. The Lord, our righteousness. He is the one that provides a righteousness that we do not have. And so as we look at the first advent, we see the coming of this one who brings mercy and peace and righteousness. And there's an already aspect of that with the first advent, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we think about Christ, he is incarnate mercy. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and John said, we beheld his glory, glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Full of grace and truth. He is full of grace, exactly what we need. Mercy is what we need. Titus 2.14, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation um, to all men. The grace of God has come. This is incarnate grace when we think of Christ. And I love John 1.16, that out of the fullness of Christ, what do we receive? Grace upon grace upon grace. One grace after another. And so as we think of the coming of this promised one, this is God's mercy wrapped in flesh with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we also, as we think of his incarnation, there is he has come to bring peace. And there's a twofold aspect of this. There is peace with God. And Jesus Christ is the one that establishes this. Uh, we read this morning from Isaiah 53, and verse 5 says this, Surely he has borne our grief, and he has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace fell on him. Chastisement that brought peace for us, it fell upon him. And as a result of that, we have Peace. Colossians uh, 1.20 says that he made peace through his blood. Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there is this objective peace that we have. We might say even a, a, <clears throat> a judicial peace 
that Christ has won for all who trust him. We have peace with God. We were formerly alienated from him. We were enemies. We were children of wrath. But he has reconciled us. He has united us uh, again, and he has made peace through his blood. But there's another aspect of peace. We not only have peace with God, but we have the peace of God, don't we? Paul talks about that when he writes to the Philippians, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and the God of peace, which, or, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Jesus himself said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Right in the midst of a fallen, broken world, Jesus says, I want you to know my peace. And sometimes we can be in some very hard and difficult situations, but he says, I am with you, and I want you to know of my peace. And he has promised this to his people, peace I leave with you. In this world, you're going to have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I've overcome this world. And, and we can have this peace <clears throat> that he speaks about. We sometimes sing the hymn, Peace, perfect peace in this dark world of sin. The blood of Jesus whispers peace within. Peace, perfect peace with sorrows surging round. On Jesus' bosom, not that calm is found. What beautiful language and description of this peace that is ours in Jesus Christ. So we have incarnate peace, incarnate mercy. But there is also this righteousness that comes to us in Jesus Christ, incarnate righteousness. Christ himself is righteous. Mary, when she gives her Magnificat, or when she is responding to the angel, and, and then she gives her Magnificat, she says that this, or the angel is saying to Mary, this Holy One who is born to you will be called the Son of God. He is the Holy One. Turn, if you will, to Hebrews 1. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, the book of Hebrews that Christ is better than. He is better than all those things in the Old Testament which were shadows and types and he is better than all these things. Uh, and here he says, verse 8, but to the Son he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. The scepter speaks about one who's a ruler, but that which characterizes his rule is a scepter of righteousness. We don't see that much in, in our leaders, do we, today? But this king... He is known as having a scepter of righteousness. He rules in righteousness. He always does what is right. And he is one who loved righteousness 
and he hated lawlessness. I pray that for myself. Lord, help me to love righteousness more and to hate lawlessness. It's a good prayer to pray. Make me to be more like Christ in this way. Hebrews 7.26 says that he is holy, he's harmless, he's undefiled, he's separated from sitters. He is righteous, and everything that he does is righteous. And as we think about that, we can think of two ways in which this righteousness comes to us. In this great transaction where Christ has been made to be sin for us, we are given his righteousness. It's an amazing thing. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We often refer to it as imputed righteousness. And Philippians, Paul refers to this, and he says, whatever things were gained to me, I've counted as lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Why? That I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. This is a gift that God gives to his people. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. God sees us as in Christ, clothed in his perfect righteousness. Martin Luther said that, Lord Jesus, he said this, Lord Jesus, thou art my righteousness, and I am thy sin. Thou hast taken on thee what was mine and given to me what was thine. What I was, thou becamest, that I may become what I was not. And so, by the grace of God, we have this righteousness which, with which we are clothed. Another statement by Luther, um, he was kind of crass in some of the ways that he spoke, but he said this, we are, he says, we are like snow-covered dung. <laughs> We're still sinners, but we are covered with the righteousness of Christ. But that's the second aspect. There is an imparted righteousness that Christ brings to his people. We have an imputed righteousness, but we also by God's grace, have an imparted righteousness that he is working in us to make us to be more like him, to live righteously, to live holy lives, to hate lawlessness and to love righteousness. And so uh, I think that's the focus here in verse 75, that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him, all the days of our life. This is what Christ has won for us. This is why Christ has come, not only to save us from hell, but to save us from the power of sin, the love of sin, and to make us to be a holy people set apart unto him. He will save his people from their sins, plural, from their sins, from the power of sin, from the practice of sin, Titus 2.11, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, teaching us to say no to ungodliness and worldly desires and to live righteously and godly in this present age. Grace is teaching us to say no to sin. That's the work of the gospel, the work of Christ. Hebrews 12 talks about the discipline of the Lord. And what does the discipline of the Lord bring about in the life 
of a believer. It brings about the peaceable fruit of what? Righteousness. And then 1 Peter 2.24, we read this this morning. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, for righteousness, that we might live for righteousness by whose stripes we have been healed. 1 John 2.29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. This grace, this mercy that we've come to know for in Christ is a mercy that is saving us in all the different ways we need to be saved. One is from the power of sin and making us to be righteous. The fingerprints of God's grace will be upon the life of all those who've been regenerated, that they are wanting to become more like Christ, to be holy. And so this is what is is coming, the Messiah that is, that is to come. And he is, in one sense, brought this about for us and is bringing this about. But as we think about the second advent, we're, we're living between already in the ninth and the second advent. I think this is cutting in and out, isn't it? Um, but we're living in between that. And so there are things that we are anticipating and we are looking forward to with the second advent. There is the hope of future mercy. That when Christ comes again, we are expecting again mercy and grace. So Peter writes and he says, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest your hopefully upon the grace that is, a, that is to come to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What are we going to get when Christ comes back, grace? We are looking forward for the coming of Christ and we will receive grace. I remember reading about a man... Uh, who was dying, and he, he was well-known. He was a godly man in the community. One of his neighbors said to him, he said, you know, you're finally going to get what you deserve, knowing that he was dying. You're finally going to get what you deserve. And he said, no, I'm not. I'm going to get mercy. I'm going to get mercy. And so there is this future mercy that we anticipate. And uh, one old Puritan said, if if one mercy does not follow another, we are undone. And how true that is. But there is also a future peace. Uh, now we have peace in the midst of tribulation, um, but there's coming a day when we will have ultimate peace. And we look forward to Christ, who's going to make all things new. And there will be a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, and there will be peace. No more wars. No more corruption. It will be a new heavens and a new earth. And the third is that with this coming, there is there's going to be a world of perfect righteousness. All of his enemies will be destroyed and cast away and judged. But there will be this new heavens and a new earth where righteousness will dwell. Christ will be in the presence of his people. We can hardly imagine what, what a world like that will be. But that's what we are promised. That's what we anticipate. Such a world that is promised to us. So we too will be perfected in righteousness. No longer struggling against sin. When we see Christ, we shall be like him and made like him. 
for we shall see him as he is. Well, just in closing tonight, uh, what are, how do we live as we live in between the already and the not yet with regard to these things? Well, the implications with regard to mercy, we should be lost in wonder and awe at the mercy of God. The mercy that he's had upon us, he's not dealt with us according to our sins. And we have received great mercy and out of the fullness of Christ, we continue to receive mercy. But we should be those who extend mercy. Just as we have received mercy, we ought to be grace givers, mercy, showing mercy to others. Jesus talks about loving our enemies, loving our enemies. He has loved us, and he calls us to even love our enemies. So we ought to display that same kind of mercy. Then peace, what are the implications? Again, we should be lost in wonder and awe at the peace that exists between us and God. We were formerly his enemies, but now we have peace with him, and we have the peace of God. And therefore, we ought to also seek to be like him, to be those who are pursuing peace with all men and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Proverbs or Romans 12, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So these ought to be reflected in our life as well. And then lastly is righteousness. We're able to rest in the righteousness that Christ has provided for us. I think it was Luther or someone that said, you know, no, it was John Bunyan. Uh, he says, God, when he looks on his son, sees his righteousness. And that's our righteousness. We're accepted because of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is in the presence of his father. And therefore, we can rest in this righteousness that is ours provided by Christ. But we are to pursue righteousness, aren't we? We are to pursue after righteousness and godliness and faith and love and patience and gentleness. Hebrews 12 tells us to pursue after it, track it down, pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And 1 John 2.29, if we know that he is righteous... We know that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Again, all of this by the grace and the mercy of God. So may God enable us to live in between the already and the not yet, living in these ways that we have received from the Lord mercy. We've received peace and we've received righteousness. And may we demonstrate that in our own lives. Well, let's stand and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer.